All right, before I get to my next guest, Greg Ducharme, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. First, our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with 4 additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret that pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is Class A teaching professional Greg Ducharme. Let me remind you a little bit more about Greg's background. He's from Rexford, New York, which isn't far away from Schenectady and Albany. He graduated from Coastal Carolina University with a degree in professional golf management. He is a Class A teaching professional at the Michael Breed Golf Academy up at Trump Golf Links at Ferry Point, just outside of New York City. You can hear Greg and one of my guests from last week, Michael Breed, weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time on a new breed of golf on Sirius XM, Sirius Channel 208, and XM Channel 92. I listen to those guys every morning on the way to work, and I'm excited to have Greg back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Anytime, as you know, I, I love joining you. Um, I hope I hope all is well with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, everything great here, my friend. So, Greg, I, w- I want to start off by getting your thoughts on the tour championship here in Atlanta at Eastlake. In particular, your thoughts on the format of having Dustin Johnson start the tournament 10 under par, John Rahm 8 under par, and so on down the list. Do you like that format? Do you think it's hokey? Well, it's it's not my favorite format. I think there are some other ways to do it. Um, but that being said, last year was interesting. We had uh, Rory McIlroy win. Um, and he started at five under. So he was kind of in the middle of the pack. What I find really interesting about it um, is, although the shots seem to be a lot, and you're giving a lot of shots to the player who's the best player in the world, uh, in Dustin Johnson, there's only so many guys. If you're if you're sitting somewhere like where Colin Morikawa is, or maybe you're Webb Simpson and you're five or four, four or five shots back, you don't have that many players to pass. And you also have four rounds to make it up. So I, I do think it's still open to some degree. I wouldn't call it wide open, but I think there's probably uh, probably five to five to seven players who I think really have a chance of winning. Is that too many? Uh, well, uh, that's up for debate. I mean, you yes, you have a 30-man tournament, and you only have probably less than a third of the field really in contention to win. Yet at the same time, you're trying to reward uh, you're trying to reward players for not just a great playoff, but also an entire season. And I think that's where part of their problem falls into play is that you're in the playoff, 
but you're also at the same time trying to reward players for a regular season. So my suggestion, my suggestion, and it was the same last year, and I believe we talked about this right here on Next on the Tee, is to separate it a little bit. Take the purse and make the make the Wyndham or or the Northern Trust, one of those two events, a kind of a regular season finale where you have a, a really big purse, like maybe, I don't know, maybe $35 million, maybe something along those lines. And you could be flexible with, with that dollar amount and reward the players right there for, for what they did in the regular season. And then you have a separate purse where they're playing off in the playoffs and it's truly uh, a winner-take-all. And it, it would be separate. So all 30 guys in the field would have an equal opportunity once they get there of, of winning this thing in just one week. I think that might be a, uh, a more fair way to do it and it could maybe get a little bit less hokey. Greg, I also want to get your thoughts. When I'm looking out on uh, PGATour.com and, and the player rankings, they've got John Rahm in their power rankings now. John Rahm ranked number one. And uh, also, they think he's going to win the tour championship. They've got Dustin, I mean, uh, Justin Thomas ranked second, Webb Simpson third, followed by Dustin Johnson. Do you think that they got the rankings right? Do you think that's the right order? Are they sort of overlooking and underselling DJ, who, as we know, a couple of weeks ago, sort of lapped the field um, and then uh, lost, uh, obviously, to a, a, an incredible, one of the most incredible putts you'll ever see and John Rahm's at the, in the playoff last weekend. But to have DJ all the way down at number four seems a bit odd to me. I don't know. What are your thoughts? It's definitely odd. If you want to have him at number two, I could live with that because John Rahm did beat him last week. Uh, and there are some there are some metrics out there. I, I have a, a friend of mine who does a lot of um, – a lot. he runs a lot of data. He has a, a database system and, and you can basically run simulations on events. And if if everybody in the field played to their average, which is based on numbers and strokes gain and all that, we don't have to get into that. But um, if he did that, John Rahm would win the tournament by about a quarter of a shot. So is that real is that hundred percent realistic? No, but it means that on average, Rahm would beat DJ by a, a slight very slightly more than two shots. So I can understand if you're gonna put DJ at number two, uh, and more so than just the data and the, and the numbers, it's really because he beat him last week. So you want to rank him number one? I'm fine with that. But you're going to stretch Justin Thomas, who just came in tied 25th last week, and the two weeks before that, it wasn't anything special either. He really hasn't had a great playoff. You're going to rank him ahead of Dustin Johnson? I mean, this guy's playing some of the best golf that we've really ever seen. Now, it's a really short period. But I mean, he shot 30 under par. Um, he he beat he shot 30 under par and beat the field by 11. And then the week before that at the PGA Championship, um, he came in tied second. The only major of the year, he came in only one guy beat him. And then the very next week, he takes a, a 66 and a half foot putt in a playoff to beat him. So I, I mean, I look at Dustin Johnson in this tournament as the guy to beat. Um, I guess I could give you a pass if you wanted to put Rom slightly ahead of him in a power ranking, but Dustin Johnson is no question the guy to beat. And I'll tell you this, Chris, he has the, he's got this tournament in his hands. If he plays anywhere near what he's played uh, the past the past three weeks, um, the past three tournaments he's played in, there is no question Dustin Johnson is your FedEx Cup champion. And Greg, speaking of DJ and the and the thirty under par, we saw at the Northern Trust. 
Do you like a tournament like that where it's, it's sort of a race to see who can make the most birdies, or, or are you uh, more in favor of what we saw this past weekend where par is a great score? We are definitely looking at what DJ did, and we're looking at the 30-under number, and we're questioning it based on a 30-under number. But he won by 11. And so when I look at a tournament and somebody runs away, I always look at what does it take to win a tournament by one. And it took 20 under par to win that tournament by one. Now, that's something that happens quite often on the PGA Tour. And quite often, the very best tournaments we get to watch end around that number. So I don't have a problem with that, especially when the conditions don't necessarily um, do any favors for making it more difficult. You don't have any wins. You don't have these. Um, you, you had some rain in the weeks leading up to the tournament, so the greens got uh, receptive to a degree. And it's not a, a difficult golf course year over year. It tends to be an easier golf course. There's a lot of scoring opportunities at TPC Boston. Um, the second hole is a par five that everybody in the field can reach. Then you get to number four. You have a drivable par four. 18 is is extremely reachable for everybody in the field. So it's set up for scoring. And I like to see birdies. I, I really enjoy watching guys make birdies. And um, especially in a playoff, I think it, it is a way to demonstrate talent. But what I, what I want to emphasize here is that 30 under par number is not the number you judge this tournament on. That's the number you judge what Dustin Johnson did. That's how you judge how incredible that performance was. To beat a, a field of players who shot 19 under, um, which uh, there were only two guys who shot 19 under, but um, but beyond that, so he took 20 under to win. He shot 30 under. He extended it just that much farther, and he made it look easy. And when the very best makes the game look easy, well, it, um, they're going to go really low. And it's hard to defend players when uh, when they're on their game like DJ was. It's something that's extremely rare, and I think it should be applauded. Now, last week. Uh, I think we saw a compelling tournament as well. But I think it was only compelling because it got a little bit easier on Sunday. Um, and, and over the weekend, there were 19 under par rounds on, on Saturday, um, and, and there were 52 under par rounds between Saturday and Sunday combined compared to, like, two on Thursday and maybe seven. I, I want to say there were seven on Friday. So when it's that difficult, um, I, I think it – it is a little bit less compelling. I, I'm not. I'm not really interested in watching a train wreck coming down the stretch on Sunday. Now, if if you have a round or two rounds like this Friday and Saturday, where it plays really difficult because the wind is up and the greens are firm and it's still a fair setup, but it's just playing tough. I'm fine with that. I enjoy the aspect of the game where it's an outdoor game and the elements in some degree dictate the difficulty of the golf course. And I think that's the beauty of our game and seeing the difference in back-to-back weeks, in my opinion, really highlighted that. And Greg, looking ahead a few weeks to the U S open at Wingfoot, which isn't far from where where you're at there at Trump golf links at Ferry point. Um, first, have you ever had an opportunity to go over and play Wingfoot? I've, I've had many. Um, I'm very fortunate. Two of my best friends from college, and um, we've kind of spent some time in the business working together in Florida uh, and traveling around the, these various places. We've always been nearby. Well, they both happen to work at Wingfoot now. So this year has been a little bit different. I haven't had a chance because of all the various policies and everything that's gone on so far this year. I haven't had a chance to play. But in the past 
two or three years, I've had many opportunities to play. So um, I'm very familiar with it, and I can't wait to cover it in a couple weeks, Chris. So based on your experience playing there, what are your expectations? Do you think this is going to be a, uh, a U.S. Open where the USGA has it set up very similarly from a scoring perspective to what we saw this past weekend where, you know, even par, one, two, three, four, under is where we're going to see the, the winner, or do you expect it to be a little bit lower than that? It, well, here's the, the difficulty for me in assessing that is I don't know what the weather is going to be exactly. And I'll say this about Wingfoot. As, as difficult as it is, there are holes that are very scorable. You have holes like, I, I believe number two is going to be somewhat gettable. I, number one is the most difficult green on the golf course, I believe. Uh, you're going to get right, it's, it's going to get right in your face right away. The first green is, uh, is very challenging. And that's where you're going to see, you know, you're going to, your eyebrows are going to raise when you see some balls rolling around on that green. Number two, I think, is a scoring opportunity. Four, uh, I believe, is definitely a scoring opportunity. Five is a converted par five this year, so it's going to play as a par four. And I think that'll be manageable. I, I really think that hole will be manageable, but no, I wouldn't consider it a birdie hole. But then six and seven are birdie holes as well, and nine's a par five. So you're looking at almost, I would say, seven to nine holes on the golf course you can really make some birdies on. Um, but the other holes are really challenging. And if the conditions are firm and fast, fairways become difficult to hit. And even those birdie holes, well, they become, it becomes really hard to make uh, pars. And par is going to become a really good score. So it, it's really up in the air to the conditions. If there's rain, I think they can get under par. If there's not rain, um, the rough is projected to be, they're, they're planning on starting the week at about five to five and a half inches. And, and letting it grow throughout the week, and it, it'll get as high as six. Now, in all the times I've played wing foot, I've never played it in rough like that. And what I can say is it's a golf course that between the trees gives you a lot of width. And so you have options on the tee box. You can set yourself up to give yourself an angle at, at these hole locations because wing foot's a golf course where it all starts on the green. And depending on where the hole is, you have to position your ball in a certain location to access it. Now, normal day-to-day member play, the rough typically isn't so high to where you can't play out of it. So you can play the holes in what I call half. Okay, I want to get it on the right half of the hole this time, somewhere between the middle of the fairway and the right trees, or I want to get it in the left half of the hole this time. And that, that take on a little bit of risk. You're able to play out of the rough to where you just have to get on the right half of the hole. Well, when the rough gets to five or six inches deep, all of a sudden that's not an option because you now, on most holes, won't be able to reach the green. And now you have to deal with these uh, wedge shots into really firm greens, and the scores can get out of hand quickly. So my assessment is if there's no rain, it's going to be extremely difficult. I mean, extremely difficult. I I don't think you'll see anyone near par. Uh, You're likely going to see a three to five over par winner, I would say. If you get a little wow. bit of rain and the golf course softens up, I think you could see I think you could see somewhere between six to eight under win realistically. And that may be a little bit of a runaway, but I think guys will get under par if there's rain. Thinking about the layout of the golf course, do you think it favors, you know, a couple of players that they, they, they may have a 
a, a leg up or an edge on the rest of the field, or do you think it's wide open? It, oh, man, again, it goes back to what you have conditions-wise. So if the golf course plays soft, which is unlikely, but you know you never know what you're going to get. If you get a if you get a rainstorm on Wednesday, or if, or if it rains a couple of nights throughout the week, then I think it favors the really long hitters. Um, I think they'll have a real big advantage. And what it does, there's a Wingfoot's an interesting property. There's kind of a, a soft slope to it. There's not a lot of dramatic elevation changes like say Augusta National. Um, they're more gradual, but there are a number of reverse cambers on the golf course. Like number one, for instance, very slightly tilts from left to right, and the fairway dog legs um, from right to left. So it's it's asking for a draw when it gets really firm and the ball's rolling and it, and it gets going down that hill to, towards the right-hand side, it can get into the rough pretty quickly. And as I said, when it's six-inch rough over there, that's a big difference than when it than when it's three-inch rough or even two-and-a-half-inch rough like we often see on tour. So in that aspect, if it's really firm and fast, I like somebody who can work the ball a little bit right to left, and I like somebody who has uh, an extremely creative short game because you're going to see a lot of golf balls land on the greens, bounce off the greens, and end up where where you have some really challenging shots. They're going to require soft touch. Um, the bunkers are extremely deep, and not just soft touch, but uh, but imagination. You will see players in situations where they may appear to be short-sighted, and they may play pitch shots all the way across the green that turn a corner, and what, what feels like a couple minutes later, the ball ends up very close to the hole. Uh, the 15th green is one especially to watch, where if players miss left and right, they're going to have opportunities to use some slopes and and work the ball close to the hole. So I'm looking for a player who has a, a really, really good short game. And and I'm also looking for a guy who can draw the ball, unless it's soft. If it's soft, I think you could see a guy, um, a, a bomber who fades it. Dustin Johnson is going to be, uh, he's going to have a great week there. John Rahm, I think, is going to have a great week there no matter what. Because these, these players have great short game. Um, and, and they also have the ball striking to handle the length of the golf course, to handle the iron shots, to handle the rough when you do hit it in there. And that's the thing about the modern game, Chris. Even even when the rough is high, it tends to benefit bombers even more because everybody misses fairways. And when you do, um, there's only only certain players have the ability to reach the green. And, and if you can do that, you have a huge scoring advantage. Craig, I want to get your thoughts on Tiger Woods. I, you know, as you've talked about uh, throughout, uh, you look very closely at the data, the shots gained, information that uh, that we have available to us now. And he's a guy who's losing strokes to the field and strokes gained putting and strokes gained around the greens. And and we've seen some of the all-time great players, people like Arnold Palmer and Ben Hogan, struggle with their putting later on in their careers. Do you think that's the putting issue right now for Tiger is just a blip? Or are you worried about his short game and his putting going forward? No, it's been every event we've seen him so far this year, uh, the calendar year at least. After after Zozo and the President's Cup, we haven't seen Tiger putt well once. I don't even think he putted well at, at the Farmers where he came in tied nine. So Genesis was really, really struggled on the green. Um, and then and then you saw it again at, at the Memorial. And you saw it at the PGA. 
and you saw it again um, during the playoffs. So he's had a really hard time on the green. This is the biggest struggle for Tiger now. He has to balance a schedule, and he has to balance, uh, you know, competing with a schedule where he can really compete. And the hardest part is he, he the tournaments he wants to play in are always the hardest tournaments. So you're going to save your body to some degree to go play in an event like a U.S. Open or to go play in a major or, or the playoffs or something like that. And by the time you get there, you're rusty. And these guys you're competing against just aren't. So your game's at a, at a big disadvantage. And, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of like playing football. There's a lot of talk in the NFL now where, hey, you can practice all you want. You can train as hard as you want. But it's a, it's a different physical shape. Football shape is a different, is a different shape than um, just being conditioned off the football field. You've got to get hit to get conditioned. And golf is the same way. When you're talking about championship golf at this high level, even a player with the experience of Tiger Woods, you're not used to that. And your skills are tested at an entirely new level. And he's not up for the challenge right now. And part of that is he hasn't had the reps. Part of it is he doesn't have the ability to practice as much as he would like in those areas for more reasons than just health. It's also, I mean, he's 44. He's got a family. He's got kids. He's playing soccer with them. He's taking them to golf tournaments. I mean, the guy's a part-time caddy now. So this is uh, some of the challenges that he faces, and they seem to be in the skill, uh, the areas that require the most skill, the most touch and finesse. And they're one, the hardest areas to practice because of his health. Um, and two, it's hard to simulate the conditions that you face when you play the tournaments that Tiger plays. And so he, he's really in an uphill battle. And I, I think he's always going to struggle as long as this schedule continues. So having said all of that, I'm guessing you don't like what you're seeing from him. So playing well at Wingfoot is probably not in the cards for him. What do you think at Augusta National? Because it always seems to bring out the best in the former champions. And obviously he's defending going in there. Is that a place that we, that we could foresee him continuing to play well because he knows the golf course so well? He may still have a chance to, to win there you know, for many years to come. I do think I do think you could see that for sure. I mean, he um, knows it better than anybody else. It would be hard to argue. Other, I mean, maybe a Phil Mickelson knows it as well. There are some guys that may know it as well. But Tiger definitely has a game plan to get around that place. Um, but I think I think back to the shot on, on number nine in the final round last year, where he hit it up onto the top shelf. And, and, and he lagged this putt down there with such beautiful pace. And it was the, it was a, a, a two putt that required so much skill, so much finesse and touch. And I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen any evidence that would show me he has that level of skill and touch right now in his game. And that's problematic. Can he fix that? I mean, we're talking about a tournament in November. So I, I think there's a, a chance that he could fix it. Um, but. You know, years to come. I guess the good news is he's got November and April. So I would say Augusta National and maybe an open championship. Maybe an open championship gives him his best chance of winning again. Uh, and I include PGA Tour events. I, I don't think regular PGA Tour events bode very well for him because he doesn't play a lot of them in a row. He doesn't get into a rhythm. And these guys are ready to go. And the events he does play, as I said, tend to be hard. So 
I'm I'm looking at unless there's a change to his schedule, I'm really looking at two events that he has a, a legitimate chance of winning every year, and it's Augusta and the Open Championship. Greg, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing. Listen to you and Michael in the mornings, and follow you on social media. You can listen to us. Uh, you can listen to a new breed of golf, um, Michael Breed and I. We're every weekday morning from eight to ten. Monday through Friday, as you said, Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, Channel 82, Sirius 82, and um, Sirius 208, rather, and XM 92. And we do we take calls, and, and you can call in and get involved in the show, send emails. It's, it's great. So if you listen over there, uh, we'll tell you how to, how to get involved in the show. Um, you can also get me on social media. Uh, Twitter's the best way. Um, I'm at the real GSE. Those are my initials. And... Um, we got to make sure there's no imposters. So, so that's why you get the real GSD there. Um, definitely the best way to get in touch with me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying the Twitter space. It's so much fun. And the golf Twitter world especially is, uh, is very engaging. So I'm having a great time with that. Well, Greg, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon. And I love next on the tee, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you, Greg. Take care. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and your family. Hey, you too. Thanks, Greg. See ya. That's Greg Ducharme again. Uh, he's a Class A teaching professional up there at, uh, you know, in New York and uh, does a great job with that. And uh, I highly encourage you to check him out uh, you know, online and follow him on Twitter, like he said, at TheRealGFD. And uh, give he and Michael a listen in the mornings. Like I said, I listen to those two every morning on a new breed of golf on uh, on Sirius XM. They're both fantastic. Michael was a part of the show last week. It's a privilege having Greg come back and uh, and be a part of the show as well. Look forward to catching up with him again real soon.